now, your host. This is Bruce. This is John. And this is Trab. Welcome to the TriTac Games Podcast, your podcast of modern day exploration to the Fringe Paths, to Bureau 13, and the Hardwired Hinterland, and any other game produced by TriTac Games. Also, we enjoy bringing our knowledge and our experience into your game, wherever it may be. And we'd love to hear about your games and how the uh, TriTac Games can be a benefit to you. So, tonight, our topic is. How do you handle characters from high-tech backgrounds and low-tech backgrounds with modern tech characters all together in one campaign? How do you do it and make it all work? John? The other thing that we actually haven't covered is you have a guy from the future. You need to come up with his cultures like. They may be neo-Victorians. Everyone dresses from head to toe, covered, and you don't see skin anymore. Or you could have somebody who takes a drug that makes them entirely gender neutral. And all of a sudden they come back into the past and they forget to take their pill every day. Oh, 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 oh. A good example of that is when I was in my feng shui campaign, which I played a misplaced bureau and IDET agent who ended up on the world. In the 2056 juncture, which is the future that this feng shui world is in, gender and sexuality are very blurred. And then, because there's the underworld where you can go back to the 90s, they come back and it's just a culture shock because it's, what, 70 years in the past, and with the 90s views of gender and sexuality, that 90s person would look at that 2056 person, and the 2056 person would look at the 90s person. Each would be aghast at the other. The Mm -hmm. 90s person would be like, oh my gosh, and this is normal, and pretty much the 2056 person, it's like, our society came from this? There's that view of gender and sexuality. And then also a drug that would do that. When there's a next-gen episode where there were gender-neutral, it was like a gender-neutral race, and I guess the one started adopting female traits. Yeah. And it was almost like a... A sin. Yeah, it was a very thinly-veiled gay rights episode. They dealt with this in the original series also where they had all these intelligences in these globes and they each went into the three people who went down on the the away mission. One was Kirk, one was, I think, Scotty, and the other one was this female yeoman or or something. Guess of the week. The point was is that the one that went in the female all of a sudden started feeling womanly, even though she was this up till then spent thousands of years as a a disembodied intelligence. And she's like, I have these strange feelings and I like them. Or the Andromedans, when they took over human bodies, they started becoming human. I think that was what we're talking about. No, no. When you're talking about the the globe Sargon and... uh, Yeah. That's a different one. The Andromedans, the ones who captured the Enterprise and took them through the barrier and came back to Andromeda. But the original form is something that sounds like it came from a uh, Cthulhu mythos. Uh, okay. <laughs> and then there's the reverse, which is where you yeah. have your neutered uh, harem guard who mm-hmm. is brought back to IDET, and they put in a couple of prosthetics, <laughs> putting on a drug regimen, and all of a sudden this harem guard who didn't have any interest has interest. Or if he shows up in Hardware Hinterland, he isn't in Heron Guard after about a week or so. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Things just grow back. <laughs> yeah. Hinterland's yeah. a great place for, for people of different 
we're talking like from 1000 BCE to 26th century. You have people, that's another setting of ours that where people of multiple technologies show up and have to deal with culture shock. Yeah, culture shock. I think Hardwater Hinterland would be the one that really would be the, the best example of where you just have these cultures clashing all the time. Which is why you just pick the environment you feel most comfortable with and go live there. Which is why there's people living in Noram, because you know what? Despite it's a hellhole, it's home. Yeah. You know, it's the closest thing they got to home. Yeah, and you also get to be a really tough guy there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's, it's probably not a few people from medieval Europe living in Anson's kingdom, because it's what they're used to. You naked apes are just too strange. And you smell bad. Yeah. <laughs> right. And then he goes home and finds out that he can't stand his own people anymore, and he's a man without a country now. Yeah. How do you keep him down on the farm once they see Paris? Yeah. That's so But that's true. also why we talk about people getting the thousand-mile stare on the French Pass. Yeah. You know, there comes yeah. a time for a lot of explorers where they're just like, you know, unless the GM can keep the explorers really, you know, linked into – their missions, they're going to start saying, you know, why don't I, I've done enough for Earth. I think maybe I should go out and try to find that place that's perfect for me and just start walking or riding or flying with his squirrel suit. One guy's character was a surfer searching for the perfect wave. I can see that. Yeah, he's going from world to world looking for the perfect wave. And he hasn't found it yet, but he's still out there searching. Sure. And some of them may, may not be looking for anything. They just want to see what's new out there. Yeah. You know, they got enough experience levels that they figure they can handle just about anything they run into, and they just go, they're going exploring. And there's some of them who just found out about the uh, age retardant aspect of the Fringe Pass and thought that the best form of revenge against all their enemies is to outlive them. Oh, yeah, yep. the elven solution, as I call it. When I get angry with people at work, I tell them, how are you not just wanting to throw them? I said, I'm applying the elven solution. I work with mundanes, and they're like, I said, elves are long-lived. They outlive the people that get them angry. Yeah. It's the best revenge. <laughs> Once yeah. I put it in that context, they start laughing. You know? For players to do culture shock properly, you really need to have a good definition of what your culture was that your character came from. Right, it takes some deep character development to do it, right? Yeah, yeah. some backstory. My player in my Friday night game who plays the pulp investigator and my co-host Sven who plays the Watson to his homes. They were both an investigator and a physician. They were in the Army post-World War One. They both had to do some research on the 20s and 30s, like just what Lieutenant Strauss's favorite drink was, which was a Gibson martini. I said, okay, look it up. And of course, Wikipedia. And he looked it up and looked how it was and how martinis were made. And that was just some small facet of the character's background being from 1920s and 30s America. You need to dig deep on your character's backstory so you can get that, okay, I'm here. Now, what is it here? I'm from the 17th century. And all of a sudden, I'm seeing these concepts from 1930s. Yeah. One thought is, write down, I want to call them aspects. So you're Victorian. So you might write down prudish, holier than thou. British, we're very definitely, there's the wogs, you know, very very much holier than thou uh, in, in that aspect, you know. Well, that it, would be, again, even on the class, because let's say you had the lower class Victorians, the yeah. 
the people like Oliver Twist and the Artful Dodger, they were far different than the people who lived the manors out in the country. You know, there was that that's true too. A stratification thing. But by God, they knew they were better than the wags over in India, though. <laughs> yeah, in that case, then it's the enemy of my enemy is my friend type mentality. It's like, yeah, yeah. you may be, you know, living on the streets, but you're still British. Yeah, I'll have that going for you. Yeah. Yeah, and you may want to consider this writing, you know, this writing down some aspects of your culture, so you can look at them and say, okay, how would he react? Oh, I got these little these little key phrases written down, and okay, I have how you how you react to the situation, you know. And you obviously, know. that's just a basis. That's not. I mean, to play that, you end up going screaming into the realm of stereotype. Yeah, you have a core base set mm-hmm. of traits, but yeah. He's still a real person. He's still going to be variations on yeah. that theme. Some from anything yeah. before the 14th century, uh, a lot of males would simply treat women as furniture. Chattel. Yeah. Chattel. And if you have yeah. someone who's a strong female who's busy talking, unless she's royalty, shut up, woman. Yeah, the whole Victorians, mm. when the Victorians came to Earth Prime and they found out how modern-day Earth women are, yeah, they got a rude awakening. It's like, yeah. oh, so you're women around in the fringe paths. What do you mean they're walking side by side with you? Or what do you mean that they're doing this? Oh, the and herders. of course, that woman just has that look like, excuse me? Yeah, well, why do you think that they don't let, they, they keep the fringe portal a secret? Because, you know, they're definitely not going to port any of the uh, of the modern magazines that, you know, form such a large part of our, of the culture of of this country, I mean, can you imagine uh, Cosmopolitan oh. being smuggled in? Mademoiselle, any of the teen magazines? Oh yeah, Teen Beat. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And of course, that's a matter of thing because I mean, if the Victorians were to see something like oh, Better Homes and Gardens, they'd be like, oh well, yeah, of course, because you know, in their mindset, again, we're not trying to impose that this is the way, but the Victorian mindset, be like, oh. My wife, this, give her this to help make a better home and garden for me. Yeah, sure. This magazine will allow. Yeah. And then, Politan, 100 Ways to Make Your Man Happy. Okay, that's a good thing. And they open it up. It's like. Yeah, it sounds like a good uh, thing until they actually read the rest of and it. And they're like, oh, dear. I didn't even think my physician knew about that. Okay, oh. that stays on the fringe paths. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> the trouble is he thinks Bear Homes and Gardens is the, is the safe magazine. Until his wife opens up the, the full p- place page spread on fashion for the garden. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, or, or even just the model shots or even just the advertisements in that magazine would be scandalous in many cases. <laughs> Maybe they can get the Braille version. Oh. <laughs> I would imagine they would start importing in technology that they can easily replicate. You know, so a lot Which would of... be, let's see, the Victorians, again, I use D20 parlance, that's what I'm familiar with. The Victorians, Bruce, back me on this, maybe PL4? Sure. Okay. Yeah, they're 1900. Right. PL5... They're steampunk. Right. PL5 is considered cutting edge. For an extra three wealth, you can get, if you're a PL4 denizen... For an extra three wealth, you can get something of a PL5 nature. So they can extrapolate that because it's considered cutting-edge technology. Steam right. power after a while, you know, through various technological means, and it's on the chart that I gave you, too. After a while, they started developing 
electricity and they went in. And actually, electricity was already being generated in that time period. Electric lights okay. actually were in existence. They were time. just about to, they're just about to invent the telephone. Yeah. Yeah. So power generation is there, but it's mostly DC, direct current. Yeah. Alternating current doesn't happen until later. You yeah, know, because so. let's see, the Victorian era technically, I think, was 1814 to 1914, because it ends at the beginning of World War One. Yeah, well, that's a so, Edwardian okay. period, yeah, but it is. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. But in this case, I think some of the things you may bring in, or may, may at least bring in, is medicine. You know, the royal family, a lot of things may actually get fixed because they bring in the medicine that may cure things like... Uh, I've, I've Gene heard, therapy, yeah. One of the things that may happen is like, uh, I think the Grand Duke... In Germany, or the the current Kaiser at that point in time was had throat cancer. Well, heck, if we can bring in stuff they help they help fix it. Where heck, even a doc box. Suddenly, you have a person who died in our world, living until a ripe old age in in their world. That was something that you guys brought up earlier about uh, varying tech levels on the same world. Yeah, right. our world here right now, high PL five, cutting edge PL six. There are people still living in PL one. Stone Age? Oh, yeah. Did South America, some of those tribes? Yeah. Okay, yeah. So even on a world here, you can have that in the same world. You could be on a Bureau 13 world, and all of a sudden you have to go down to South America because you need to find some artifact or something. Well, that's yeah. fine. All of a sudden you're having to deal with Stone Age culture, and let's say one of these Stone Age people, you get in good with them, and they want to come back with you. That's an opportunity for a new player character. Well, this new player character has to deal with culture shock going, okay, yeah. first of all, I'm dealing with these people that have these strange things that make a lot of noise. And when they pointed one at one of my fellow soldiers, my fellow tribesmen, he dropped dead with a lot of blood coming out of him. Now I'm in a place, I went through a door, and now I'm in a place, I've been there a year, and I come back, and they tell me only one day has actually passed. Huh? Yeah, and also, the other strange thing for these people is that they wear clothes. Yeah, that's another thing. What do you mean <laughs> I can walk around in my loincloth at the formal dinner? Because <laughs> culture shock can go both ways. I that has to deal with all the time is that you go someplace and you run into different cultures. Yeah, you have to be able to think on your feet. That's one of the major things being an IDET explorer. Is like you have to be prepared for anything. <laughs> Say a person comes from an alternate future where there's basically a hive mind. When you, you reach a certain age, they hook you up, and you're part of the hive mind. But now here he is, working on the fringes, and there's no hive mind, and he's by himself. That guy, even though he may be highly skilled and so forth, he's alone. He may not be able to function, John. That would be a rare character because somebody usually, yeah. they are that involved. Well, like in The Matrix, why do you think Morpheus said, we usually free people young. People who have been in the Matrix that long, it's dangerous to free them. And what's the first thing Neo did when he got his, when he got out there? Blue chunks all over the grating on the Nebuchadnezzar. Because yeah. he couldn't handle, this is real life. It was information overload. Too much new things at once, and he lost it. And Cypher, maybe it's not his fault that he ultimately betrayed them. Maybe he just couldn't take it. I think after 12 years, I think we can let that slip, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I'm, th I'm, th I'm thinking along the line where the hive mind decides that, yes, you're fringe-worthy. There may be that the, the hive mind is more along the line of, a, like, like the Internet, 
most times you can you, you if you want to be alone with your thoughts you can be alone with your thoughts but you know most people don't get alone with their thoughts so the fringe really may be one of those lucky ones that likes being alone I put air quotes around that insane in other words yeah <laughs> oh yeah they would be they'd be wondering about okay why is this guy thinking like this we don't think like this and they'd <laughs> they'd be like if you other deviants who aren't hooked into the hive mind want to take him fine leave take him go don't bother us we get rid of him and then the he hive. finds out how much he missed the hive mind <laughs> Right. Well, that's a favorite trope inside yeah. of science fiction, yeah. where you find out that the guy who's the ambassador from the aliens is considered insane by his own people. And Nessus, the puppeteer, was considered insane by his people in the Larry Niven stories. That's right. Yeah. Right. There's various high-tech worlds where, say you came from a world that uh, has what's called uh, arcologies, these massive single-building cities. Yeah. And you, first time you step to the fringe platform... You really get the worst case of vertigo and agoraphobia you ever had in your life at that point because this is there's no roof, it just goes forever, and you're outside, and yeah. outside's bad. Oh, yeah. and there's also the fear of being alone, too, which yeah. also would be true. Well, so also, you- let, let's say this person who's in an arcology. You, you've seen in buildings and office buildings, they'll have like the grading and there will be a tree growing in the building. All of a sudden, you're in a forest. You go through a fringe path and let's say, okay, you've gotten used to the fringe path and that and the lack of ceiling. Fine. Okay, we're going on to a world here. You know, we have to stop on this world on the way back. You know, We have to stop at this supply depot world on the way back to Earth Prime. And it's a forest world. And this guy who's been in a car, arcology and the only tree he's ever seen is planted in the floor with the grating, and now there's trees as far as the eye can see. Right. It's time yeah. to start sitting on the ground and start gibbering again because yeah. it's or, just something I can't handle. Or from the hinterlands, we have uh, Noram, we have all these big, massive buildings. Some of those may be arcologies, and there may be people in there. They're living there because they can't stand being outside because outside right. is big. And dangerous. Well, a Noram it is dangerous, but that's beside the point. Right. It's even more dangerous to them because they have measures where the big bads and the hunter-killer robots can't get in the building. Yeah. Right. You live inside of one of those super concentrated type cultures. They also are going to have very strict sanitary measures. So first time you put your foot, even wearing a shoe, onto dirt uncontrolled soil with microorganisms growing everywhere and god help you if an ant walks across your boot <laughs> you'd make howard hughes look like a kid playing in a mud puddle oh yeah and that's where that's why i said as the person freaks out over the end i recognize that feminine scream of panic anywhere that would be our very own yeah yes <laughs> Yeah, it's the same with colors. You could have somebody who, through some strange way of the wavelength of the sun, had never seen the color green before or the color yellow. And then all of a sudden they walk into some place and someone's, you know, decided to have a banana split festival. And there's yellow everywhere. His brain doesn't know how to process it. They found some cultures, some island cultures and some cultures in the Brazilian rainforest, who when showed a, a photograph or a picture couldn't see it. They had no rep- representational art at all. So the, the photograph or the painting was just colors. They couldn't actually see an image. 
it took time for them to, to learn to see images because it was just so totally outside their culture. Like, is it like one of those pictures with the colored dots and you got to concentrate to see what's behind it? <laughs> no, no, it's no, a it, schooner. <laughs> what if you ran a world where that was the way they represented all of their pictures? There you go. If you don't know how to do the magic eye trick, you can't read. You can't see anything. Yeah. Yeah. A mall rat's reference, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You may have a person who comes from a non-literate culture. That's another problem with low-tech people, which is different from illiterate. A non-literate culture is pretty much what we had for most of our history on Earth. Humans were, for the most part, non-literate. We did everything by memorizing by memorizing learning. oral tradition yeah oral tradition this person may actually be incapable of learning how to read there's something in the GURPS cyberpunk book mentioning this because the computer screens and the interface for like you know the heads-up display when you're jacked in you may be blind to icons you can read words on a computer screen but just because you're so used to the words it's like a quirk or it's probably a disadvantage. It's not a quirk because it'd be a disadvantage because of the prevalence of computers, but you just can't seem to see icons. Or you can't tell the difference between fonts when people try to use italics versus bolding to mean something in a text. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. And it's, there's various things that your character, you know, and this could be your past or future people from the future. Like you may be from a, so far in the future that only odd people have learned how to read and everyone else, pretty much, you, you don't know how to read. Or you, you can just read enough to be able to do things. But for the most part, you say, computer, I want some tea. Bam, you get some tea. Right. You might be using some kind of symbolic language where you are able to do tasks by you know, moving icons around. and Because yeah. that's pretty much what I, they always seem to be doing on Star Trek. They don't actually seem to be reading except for a few things. And that might be fine. Maybe they don't need to read yeah. in order to do their jobs. Only people who are highbrow take the effort to go and yeah. actually read it on a page. And most of the people would go and just watch a video. Yeah. And maybe the technology is so advanced that for the average person, everything's point and click. You, you literally don't have to learn to read because you don't have to learn to read. You learn from birth how to operate the food replicator, how to operate the video channels. You, you, in fact, a lot of things are pretty much voice voice commands. You never really, you know, learn anything. And it's just those oh. people who... Yeah, as, as a matter of fact, they, they actually covered that in Star Trek because oh. they had this one episode where Uhura got her mind completely wiped. Yeah. And she was up to the 12th grade within a week. Now, you know that she wasn't reading that. Uh-uh. They were putting her through some kind of a visual mental stimulator that was flashing images you know, in her mind. It was actually educating her at a highly accelerated rate. Yeah. And it's, so it's quite possible. You're right, John, that, that you might be able to, within a, a period of a year, give somebody all the knowledge that they need in order to live within a, a high-tech culture like that and not actually know how to actually read as we consider reading to be. Yeah. It's only the folks who have to deal with the cutting edge of technology have how to read or how, at least how to work much closer to the computers. Well, it's like a and d barbarian. Yeah. They start out illiterate. They come from a culture that does not have a written language. It is a base concept that in D&D, in pseudo-medieval culture, that they have their language. Their common has a written and spoken form. They may speak common, 
but they just never learn to read it. Their common is a dialect that just there's no written script. You have to spend two skill points to gain literacy. Once you do so, any and all languages that you have learned or will learn, you end up learning the written script. Now, the Barbarian, of course, you play him as the typical convention of he's loud, he's boorish, he's strong, he'll sit there and wear his feathers and furs in front of the king. But that two points means now you just opened a whole new world to him because now he can read. Yeah, and that actually is replicated fairly well in D20 because you have two separate skills for reading and writing and versus speaking language. So you can easily represent a person from the future who basically... He doesn't know how to read because he never had to. Right. Or he doesn't read anything that we would consider to be writing. Yeah. You're going to need the ability to have some kind of symbolic language yeah. that's able to deal with imaginary concepts. Yes. Okay, you know, things that, you know, you just, you're not just describing a scene where you're, you're talking about logic and you're talking about things like that. So there has to be some kind of symbolic language, at least, that lets you do that. But there's com uh, computer programming languages that have a very small amount of vocabulary that could do the same job. So you got really good spot, you got really good listen, but you got really lousy read. Yeah. <laughs> which, is, which is, you know, in D&D &D is no problem, is it? Or yeah. even, frankly, there's hardly, I mean, unless you're taking arcane scripts, you know, usually the, the read-write language skills don't hardly come into effect at all. Yeah. That's why they're so cheap. Yeah, it's so, so cheap. But, you know, the, but then you go to the modern-day world and you get behind the wheel of a car. Oh, my. Just navigating streets by street names. Well, yeah, but they're, most of them are pictograms anyways. Yeah. I drive by landmarks. <laughs> but instead of doing that, you just simply use your GPS that says, in 300 feet, turn right. Ah, but It doesn't the, matter what the street is. But your GPS right now, our current GPSs are not voice programmable, so you still have to be able to type in the address. Yeah, okay, so the, how hard is that? You don't have to learn how, all the, how to read all of the street names. You just have to be able to type in a set of, what, 20 to 30 letters and numbers? Yeah. And you might as well be just be typing in a code string. That's and all of a sudden, it'll take you right to where you want to be. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, that high-tech guy, I think, would do just fine. Yeah. But unfortunately, we have no mechanical design in any of the games that I've seen so far where that's actually represented. The culture shock? No, no. Yeah, it's good role-playing because you need to be able to define culture in such a way that it's mechanical, and no one does that. Right. I'm saying most people don't, and most people therefore say, and this may be more of a power gamer point of view, but it's if there is no difference in the system, then it makes no difference. Yep. In other words, okay, I want to do this. Well, you really don't know the language very well. Prove it. And you're like, well, your character comes for whatever. He says, yeah, but that's not in the system. Why can't I do it? Yeah. It's a valid argument, and the GM might just put GM fee out, as you said, but that's one of the big problems about role-playing systems is they don't very well handle those negotiations that we talked about. In off-the-shelf Savage Worlds, there's no language skills. So, yeah, yeah, there's no problem. You can speak the language. Right. So uh, Later right. versions don't introduce language as a, as a skill you can take, and, and I'm right. doing the same thing too, so yeah. Yeah, and we have ability to deal with aliens, which is pretty much the same thing as being able to absorb culture shock. Yep. 
Yeah. And that's how I've treated it a lot of times in, in our games. Yeah, I think it's like a plus two to diplomacy when dealing with aliens or something like that. Right, which usually give a minus because you're an alien. D&D had it in the sense that they said, well, dwarves and elves don't like each other. Why don't they like each other? It's not really because of they've got some long-standing feuding history with each other. It's the fact that they're from such totally different cultures that they have a hard time having a discussion that's satisfying to either of them. So Bruce, you're saying they can't see eye to eye with each other. Not even when they're sitting down, no. <laughs> right. Well, no, it's like they usually, it depends on the game canon, the particular, uh, what's the word? Right. Well, Setting, okay. that's it. Where they'll say that maybe the dwarves and the elves had a horrible war, and therefore, they, it's like, no, it's just cultural differences. No, it's it's actually Tolkien, but that's because that's beside the point. Uh. <laughs> I've used it in my games. One of them lives deep in the mountains and they scrape lichen off the wall and that's their vegetables. And the others live their entire life in trees and surrounding, and they n never go inside of a cave unless you know they're an adventurer going into a dungeon. So everything that they value is going to be opposite. One's going to say, oh, look at the beautiful striations of, of the rock and, and the silica and stuff like that. And the other one's like, it's just a rock. But over here we have this tree with this beautiful sway of leaves and look at all the modeling on, on the tree trunk and stuff. I can make a dozen pickaxe handles out of that thing. Exactly. It's like all you see is the, and it's literally the forest for the tree. And that's kind of like what the, the real difference, why the elves and the dwarves really don't get along is because they don't have enough points of cultural reference. Yeah. Well, this we kind of went hither and far on this particular one, and we hope you guys stayed along with us. I think we came to the conclusion that that the early tech and the advanced tech people can get along if they've given enough ways of making the connection and enough things that they can use in common to make them all feel like they're operating on an equal basis. But there's always going to be differences, and those differences are good. As long as you keep the same amount of spotlight time for all the players, that's the challenge for the GM always, it should be all right. We hope that you'll try to mix up your characters and uh, try this out and see how well they do each other. But until next week, this is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. The Tri-Tech Podcast is protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial distribution or derivatives are allowed. The Tri-Tech Podcast is wholly owned by Tri-Tech Games. Visit us at www.tritechgamers.com or on Facebook.
Hi, this is Trav of the Travcast, Hour 3 of Blind Wolf's Rubber Room Association on DementiaRadio.org, Tuesdays, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern.